Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning and welcome as we come and gather to worship God together. We do pray for for the, the situation in Ukraine, and we and one of the psalm one of the psalms speaks of that about God calling about the psalmist calling out to God in his fear and in his suffering. In Psalm one thirty, he says this: "Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy." If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness so that we can, with reverence, serve you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we call out to you, we know that you hear our voice because of Jesus because our sins have been washed away. That you do not keep a record of sins, because with you there is forgiveness. Help us, Lord, if we, as we come this morning, come burdened by the weight of our sin, that we would hand it over to you, and that we would worship you, that we would give our lives to you. I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. Lord God, we wait upon you, the one who gives life, the one who rescues, the one who saves, the one who gives us hope. And we put our hope not in ourselves, but in you, in you and your word. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that we can look to you, we can put our hope in you, because you have brought us close to you, that you have saved us from our sins, that we can come into the presence of our heavenly Father and give him praise. And Lord, at times we have also been mindful that we've not done that. We have been living our own ways, our own lives, according to our own word and not to you. Lord, forgive us for the times that we've been trusting in our own work to try and earn your favor. Forgive us for the times where our ultimate hope hasn't been in your word, but in our own things, in our own lives. The things in our work, our families, our bank balance, our pensions, our schoolwork. Anything, Lord, that we would do to try and prove ourselves worthy, to find that security, to find that appreciation. Lord, we confess that we have not done enough and we never will, but you have done it all for us. That Jesus Christ has paid it all and we can come to you. And we praise you, Lord, for that. Help us to see the gift of grace of your son, that we don't deserve anything. But we have received your grace as you have lavished it upon us because you love us as your children. And therefore, Lord, help us to respond with generosity, respond in our our giving, respond in our hearts with all of our lives that we would follow you generously and abundantly. Help us to be generous in our giving towards our missionaries and towards those in Ukraine who are fleeing for their lives right now. And Lord, we pray for all those there who are suffering in ways that we can never possibly imagine. And we pray for the, the Ukrainian military and the government and the civilians there to continue to stand firm in a really hostile place. 
And Lord, we pray for Ukraine to remain as a sovereign nation with the freedom of religion, that they would be able to continue to speak of Jesus freely there. We pray for churches and Christian leaders to be faithful despite massive issues and persecution. Lord, that they would hold out Christ, that they would be a light in the darkness. Lord, we pray for peace. We pray, Lord, for peace in that country. Would you bring uh, that to bear? We pray as well for the for the Russian soldiers who have been brought into this, for those, Lord, who are suffering on all sides. Lord, would you reach out to them? Would someone speak to them of the hope in our Lord Jesus? And we thank you, Lord, that there is a day when all the wickedness will be laid bare in your presence, and you will deal with it justly. And so we thank you and praise you for that. We thank you, Lord, for the assurance that we have in Jesus, that we are robed in his righteous robes, that we come before you in that way, not because of anything we have done, but because of his work on our behalf. Lord, we pray as we hear your word read by Martin, Lord, that that we would truly hear your voice. And as Star preaches, may, may you speak to us, Lord. May this word change us by the power of your spirit, that we would be transformed more into the name and image of Jesus. We pray this in his glorious name. Amen. Now I'm going to invite Martin up, who's going to bring a reading from John chapter 7. So our reading this morning is from the Gospel of John, chapter 7, verses 1 to 24. And this section is headed, Jesus goes to the festival of tabernacles. After this... Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Therefore Jesus told them, My time is not yet here. For you, any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify that its works are evil. You go to the festival. I'm not going up to this festival, because my time has not yet fully come. After he had said this, he stayed in Galilee. However, after his brothers had left for the festival, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. Now at the festival, the Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus and asking, Where is he? Among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him. Some said, He is a good man. Others replied, No, he deceives the people. But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the leaders. Not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews there were amazed and asked, How did this man get such learning without having been taught? Jesus answered, My teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. 
Whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet not one of you keeps the law. Why are you trying to kill me? You're demon-possessed, the crowd answered. Who is trying to kill you? Jesus said to them, I did one miracle, and you are all amazed. Yet because Moses gave you circumcision, though actually it did not come from Moses, but from the patriarchs, you circumcise a boy on the Sabbath. Now if a boy can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing a whole man's body on the Sabbath? Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. Martin, thank you so much uh, for reading for us. Uh, Before we come to God's word, let's just take a moment uh, to pray. Father, we uh, thank you uh, for your word. Uh, Thank you that it is indeed sweeter than honey on the tongue. Help us this morning to have soft hearts, a hungry mind and open ears. Help us to be attentive to the work of your spirit through your word as you teach us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Please do keep your Bibles open if you have them. It would be a great help to me if you're able to follow uh, along with me. Uh, We're continuing our series through John's Gospel, uh, the Come and See series. uh, And today we are looking at the one who teaches with authority. Uh, This part of uh, John's Gospel, we're starting to see an increasing amount of uh, uh, division. Uh, People are responding to Jesus uh, in very, very different ways. And we find that the motive that lies behind the rejection of Jesus um, feeds and permeates across um, all people. Uh, It's a question uh, of whose glory it is that the people are looking for. Is it their own glory or is it Jesus's or is it God's glory? And that is the root of the division. And that is a question that was pertinent and relevant to the people of the time. uh, And it is definitely relevant and pertinent to us today. Donald Trump was not interested in objective truth. Uh, He wanted power and the glory that comes with high office. He was indeed seeking his own glory. Mr. Putin seems completely uninterested in truth. He hungers for his own glory and the glory days of the Soviet Union. But actually, if we reflect on on this a little bit further, we'll see that it's not just the leaders of nations that hunger and thirst for their own glory. It's not just a problem for our leaders, it's a problem within our own hearts. We all seek to be kings and queens of our own little kingdoms. And so as we look at our passage this morning, I want to lift out uh, just two things this morning. Uh, Firstly, uh, a mind. We have a mind that searches for our own glory. Uh, And secondly, to look at uh, the teaching that Jesus brings for God's glory. So a mind for our own glory and a teaching for God's glory. 
So in previous weeks, as we've journeyed through John 6, uh, we've read of how Jesus miraculously fed uh, more than 10,000 men, women and children with a small boy's packed lunch. And one might have expected uh, for the people to have been completely won over by that amazing miracle. After the feeding of the people, you might expect John in his gospel to have followed uh, his account with how thousands upon thousands of people all became followers of Jesus. How thousands joined the Jesus movement. The people had indeed witnessed an amazing miracle. You know, they'd been there, they'd seen it with their own eyes. Uh, They weren't hearing it from somebody else. Uh, For those of you who think that seeing is believing, you might on that day have become a believer in Jesus. And it wasn't that they'd only seen it, they'd experienced it. They've had their bellies filled with food. They had that sensation of being full, having eaten as much as they could. And for those who think that the only way to believe in God is to have an experience of some sort, well, for them, this would have counted as quite an experience. Uh, For those who have a mind for history, uh, this miracle would have got their minds whirling whirring away as well. They would have remembered when Moses uh, and the people of Israel wandered through the wilderness and God miraculously provided provision, food for the people. They even had theology brought to mind. And that they had been nourished in their soul. They remembered that God had promised a prophet greater than Moses. And the people recognized this because they sought to take Jesus and by force make him king. They would have been excited that God had sent the prophet greater than Moses. Surely, we would think, they would have believed. The people had been impacted by the miraculous feeding. They'd been fed and nourished in body mind and in soul yet we find at the end of john chapter 6 that people don't believe they just turn away and that's the lens through which we come to our reading this morning Uh, take a look at the first five verses with me after this jesus went around in galilee he didn't want to go about in judea because the jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brother said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you're doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers, even his own brothers didn't believe him. John tells us now that we find ourselves at a time of a festival uh, called the Feast of Tabernacles. It's a few months on from the feeding of the 5,000. It's a major feast uh, that takes place uh, in the autumn. Uh, We'll be looking a little bit more at that next week, but suffice to say it's one of the major Jewish festivals. And in these verses, Jesus is with his disciples and he's with his brothers. And as far as Jesus' brothers, as far as Jesus' brothers can tell, it seems like the Jesus movement Well, it's just not going very well. At the feeding of the 5,000, they saw Jesus had pulled a huge crowd, only for them to reject the message. And so what do they do? Like all good management consultants, they gather together to brainstorm what they should do. You see, Jesus' brothers, they were worried. They were worried that the movement was no longer trending. They were worried that the retweets were down, 
that the hashtag Great Miracle was being replaced with the hashtag Fake News. Uh, Requests for primetime interviews had all but dried up, and the leaders of the nation wanted Jesus dead. As far as his brothers could tell, it was a PR disaster. Some of the negative PR came from Jesus' own self-appointed campaign advisors, his brothers. His brothers worried that Jesus was about to go from hero to zero. And we read in verse 5 that Jesus' brothers didn't believe in him. Now let that sink in for just a moment. Jesus' own brothers didn't believe in him. In verse 3 we're told that they know about the miracles or works that Jesus has done. They've been with Jesus. They've grown up with him as their older brother. They've seen, but they do not believe. And in a move that any modern-day management consultant would have been proud of, Jesus' brothers come up with a recommendation, don't they? Take a look at verses 3 through 4. Jesus' brother said to him, Leave Galilee and go to, go to Judea, so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret, since you yourself are doing these things. Show yourself to the world. They reason in verses 3 to 4 that even though Jesus has done some great miracles, and indeed a great miracle of feeding the 5,000, perhaps it wasn't quite big enough. Or perhaps it wasn't public enough. And so they call for Jesus to leave the small towns that he was in and go down to the capital and do his miracles there. They call for Jesus, if you like, to leave Bradford And go down to London. Let's go and raise your profile. You need more Facebook likes. But the motive, that's really important, the motive of Jesus' brothers was their own glory. When people want want Jesus dead and they abandon him, his brothers seem not that keen to be part of the Jesus movement. When there's a big crowd and Jesus is well liked, well, they want to be part of the Jesus movement then. Not because they believe in Jesus. Indeed, verse 5, we see that they don't believe in Jesus. For them, it's about self-aggrandizement. They want glory for themselves. They want to take Jesus to the festival, parade him around, let him do his miraculous works, and they want to bask in that glory for themselves. And that's a sobering warning to us as well, isn't it, today? Uh, We too can run the risk of thinking that I'll believe and I'll trust in Jesus as long as it looks like things in a worldly sense are going well for Jesus. It's easier to follow Jesus when the church is either strong and growing or where the church is well liked by the people who don't come to church. And that's not really where we find ourselves in the UK today, is it? Church attendance is down 30-40% in the last 30-40 years. In the UK, what the Bible teaches, what we believe... Uh, It just runs horribly against what the culture believes. And it's easy to feel like Jesus' brothers here and think that the world's rejection of Jesus means that we shouldn't believe or we should trust Jesus less. We can be tempted to think that what's needed is to bring Jesus down to meet the fads or the desires of the people around us to compromise the message of the gospel. Somehow to give people what they're calling out for. Because if we do that, then they will believe. But John's gospel again and again and again reveals to us that is not the way people are moved from death to life. 
Now, it wasn't just the people of Galilee who didn't believe. Jesus travels down to the capital city in Jerusalem. And there John records this for us in verses 10 through 12. However, after his brothers had left for the festival, he also went. Not publicly, but in secret. Now, at the festival, the Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus and asking, where is he? Among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him. Some said, he's a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives the people. Word of what Jesus had done had indeed reached the capital, had reached Jerusalem. And as people gathered there, his name was on everyone's lips. Did you see that in verse 12? Everyone was whispering. But opinions divided. Some say he's a good man and others say that he's a deceiver. Now, there's a problem with that statement, isn't there? Both groups of people who think Jesus is good and those who think that Jesus is a deceiver, both of them are wrong. They both refuse to take seriously what Jesus has said about himself. You know, think back to the conversations I had uh, on city trading floors uh, with, uh, with people and the most common error uh, that people make is that they think that Jesus is a good man. They like Jesus's teachings, but they would tell me they can't believe that Jesus is anything more than a good man. But if you go to the Gospels, if you go to the eyewitness testimonies of Jesus's life, the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, and actually take a look at the words that Jesus says, what he says of himself, then he can't be good and he can't be bad. Jesus says some of the most extraordinary things about himself, doesn't he? He says that at the end of time, he is the one who is going to judge all people. He says that he is able to forgive our sins, our rebellion against God. He says that before Abraham was, I am. He's saying that 2,000 years before he pre-existed Abraham. He says, doesn't he, I saw Satan fall from the sky. And Jesus even calls himself equal with God. If you look seriously at what Jesus says about himself, you cannot conclude that he is a good man. If those things were not true, then Jesus would be mad, someone who has delusions of grandeur, or he's bad, someone who's willingly and publicly and repeatedly lying about himself. The only other option, if he's not mad or not bad, is that he's God. We have to take him seriously based upon the things that he says. And that is the way that we ascribe glory to God. So what's Jesus' response to the rejection and the hostility towards him? It's to teach. And that brings us to our second point, living for God's glory. Uh, Jesus tells us uh, that he, sorry, rather John tells us that Jesus does indeed uh, go down to the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, in the face of people turning away, rejecting what he said, John tells us that Jesus responds by teaching, not performing further miracles as his brothers had called for, not adopting the plans that uh, his friends might have suggested. No, he goes and he teaches. And we read this. Not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. The Jews there were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? 
Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth and there is nothing false about him. As Jesus teaches, we're told that the people were absolutely amazed. Uh, Jesus hasn't been to any of the rabbinical schools. He hasn't sat under a learned man. And Jesus' grasp of the scriptures uh, is so amazing that the people are dazzled by the things that he says. They're amazed. How? How can this be so? Now, people who weren't trained under rabbis... Uh, in those days, uh, there was a pejorative term for them. It was a term, uh, the term was, they were the people of the land. Simple, uneducated, unsophisticated. They would have been looked down upon by the religious elite. But here is someone, Jesus, who would have been called a person of the land. Yet, he has teaching that is amazing. And Jesus reveals that the teaching that he brings isn't his own, but it comes from the one who sent him, the father himself. And importantly, the teaching isn't overturning or uh, denying the law that has been revealed, but it is giving people a right understanding of the law so that people could see what it truly, truly meant. Now, God gave the people the law, um, after he had set them free from slavery in Egypt. And the law was the thing that shaped every aspect of the people of Israel in Israel at that time. Israel wasn't a democracy. They didn't elect their leaders. It was a theocracy. Religious systems defined everything. The temple was the heart of Jewish learning. It was the heart of jurisprudence. It was the economic center, the cultural center, the family center. In short, the law of God was the lens through which people saw absolutely everything. And the religious elite interpreted the law as a set of instructions, things to obey, a list of do's and don'ts. And as we've journeyed through John's gospel, we've seen that Jesus came and he taught Uh, taught that the law wasn't the means by which we are made right with God. It's not the means by which we're made right with God. Rightly understood, Jesus taught, the law reveals God's character and it signposts how we would be made right with God. Jesus explains the law is not going to make you right. But rather it was by God's provision that he would make us right. He is the one who is going to do it. That, Jesus says, is God's teaching. And the people were absolutely amazed. For the religious elite, the law is a warning. But Jesus says the law points forward to how we're made right. Same text, completely different understanding. Now, you might think, how on earth is that possible? How can people look at the same text and come to completely different conclusions? Let me try and illustrate this uh, for you. I'm going to throw up um, a law up on the screen in a moment, okay? Um, And I'd like you to just think immediately what comes to mind, 
Okay, Law's going to come up, and I want his, his audience participation. And I want you to think immediately, what is it that comes to mind? Okay? Okay. What did you think? Don't touch. Yeah, warning. Yeah, danger. Negative instruction. Yeah, paint is a bad thing. Or... Wet paint. Yeah. A truth that points to something that is life giving and absolutely beautiful. Same truth read in two completely different ways. And so Jesus comes along to a people who are so sure that the law is the means by which they become right with God, that they seek. And they seek to apply the law as a series of do's and don'ts. That by sticking to the rules of God, that the rules that he has given, that somehow that is the basis by which you're made right. They are trying to earn enough glory to make themselves worthy to stand before the living God. The law for them had become a means by which people seek to establish their own glory. But as I said, as we've gone through John's gospel, and as we continue to work our way through it, we're going to see that Jesus is revealing to the people that the law isn't there for us to become glorious. It's there to reveal the glory of God. Same law, but for some it teaches for their own glory. But Jesus says, no, it teaches and points to the glory of God. And in verse 18, Jesus says that uh, it teaches um, that it does indeed point to the glory of the Father and not to the glory of man. I just want to break, bring out three very brief points for us. What has Jesus been teaching? How is that glory that he speaks about achieved and what does that mean for us? Okay, What has Jesus been teaching? How is that glory achieved and what does that mean for us? So what's Jesus been teaching? So as we've gone through the gospel, we've seen that Jesus has cleared the temple. And told people that Jesus is now the new temple. The temple points to Jesus. The sacrifice in the temple to atone for sins will be met by the sacrifice of the true Passover lamb. The sacrifice points to Jesus. That entering the kingdom comes through being born again. No matter how good you think your moral performance is, it is not enough. You need to be born again. Jesus has been teaching that even those who the religious elite disdain and look down their nose at, the Samaritans, will find welcome in the kingdom of God. The observance of the law is not the means by which people are made right with God. And Jesus teaches that the law and the religious institutions do not save anyone. He reveals that the meaning and the purpose of the law is to point forward to salvation by grace, as a gift from God, something that God himself will do for us. How is this glory achieved? It's achieved by recognizing, firstly, that there is absolutely nothing that we can do to make ourselves right with God. It's recognizing that when it comes to our salvation, we bring nothing. Uh, as one preacher said, all we need to be saved is nothing. But the trouble is, most people don't have nothing. 
we're always, always trying to justify ourselves, to bring ourselves glory. But we need really to recognize that that is not the means by which we're saved. What we need is to trust completely in the work of Christ on the cross, because our salvation comes from there. What does that mean for us? Jesus teaches that it's God's work to save us, that he needs the glory. So it's good for us to ask, where in our lives are we currently seeking our own glory? Do we seek our own glory at work? Are we trying to get that big promotion at work as the thing that will define us? Do we want the status that comes with being the partner of the firm or the managing director Are we driven by the worldly status that comes with working for large and successful organisations? Are we quick to do the things demanded by our work and use the business of work as an excuse for not working at our relationship with God? Do we seek our own glory at home? Are we seeking our own glory through the achievements of our children, pressurising them to get the best grades so they can get to the best universities? Are we quick to talk about our children's worldly success rather than their struggles? Or do we seek glory in our money? Are we flash with our cash, seeking the lavish when the ordinary would do, and choosing the lavish as a badge of worldly achievement? Is our heart focused on glorifying God or giving sacrificially to the work of his kingdom? Is it directed at him or our comfort? So a question uh, to each of us, including me. Uh, If we believe that God has indeed saved us, let's ask ourselves, how much of our life is given over to glorifying God and how much of our life is given over to glorifying ourselves? And the question then is, well, where do we get the strength? Where do we get the strength uh, to live more and more for God's glory? To glorify him in all parts of our lives. Where do we get the strength to do that? Well, we get the strength by looking to the one who had all the glory. The one who's the king of kings. In the heavenly throne room. All glory given to him. And yet... He laid all of his glory down because he saw us. He put it all down and came to earth and he lived the life that we should have lived. And then he died the death that we deserve so that he could have us through all eternity. And the more that we can see just how much we're loved, how much he laid down for us, That will give us the power to surrender the things that we think are glorifying us and give it all to the one who gave everything for you and for me. And we're going to remember that truth as we come to the table this morning, as we come to have communion. To remember it was Christ's body, the king of kings, his body that was broken. The one who sits in the throne room, his blood that was poured out for you on a Roman cross. A gift 
freely given to us, but at such great cost to him. And that's the truth. That's the truth that we need to bring deep into our own hearts. That's the thing that will catch a fire in here, that will allow us to put the things of this world down and live for the one who died for us. And we'll be able to put our glory down with more and more joy as we live for him. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your love for us. Thank you that our salvation is not a work we achieve, but a gift from you. Help each one of us to fix our eyes on your glory. Help us long for your glory and to joyfully surrender to you those parts of our lives where we're seeking our own. Help us to glorify you in all that we do. In your name. Amen.